Hello, welcome to PSR, People Speaking Rail. I'm Mike Bowdenistel, I'm the head of Intermodal Solutions here at Freightwaves, and I'm joined by Joanna Marsh, as always. Uh, Joanna, um, looking forward to reading more of your uh, articles. You've been putting a lot out lately on a variety of topics, but one of the main topics we are hitting home here is the Ohio derailment. Um, by my count, we have about six articles up on FreightWaves.com not including all of the content on FreightWaves TV about this particular topic. Um, what's the latest? Yeah, sure. Yeah, there's just a lot of um, good stuff out there. Um, uh, Rachel Primack um, with FreightWaves um, had written a piece uh, just kind of looking at the, the maintenance um, issue of, um, you know, what was sort of, is there sort of, were there sort of preventative steps that could have been taken, like looking at maintenance? Um, and, uh, and, you know, I saw the, um, the interview that, that you and um, Rachel did today on Freightways Now, which I thought was just uh, pretty, um, pretty good, kind of looking at, um, you know, uh, as you mentioned, sort of, you know, everyone's pointing the blame at Norfolk Southern, but like, uh, what other factors are there that consider, consider, so, you know, check those two things out. Um, and then, of course, you, you know, of course, the, the investigation is still ongoing with the NTSB and, um, and, you know, the EPA is up there as well in Norfolk Southern kind of addressing the um, community concerns. Uh, and it, it's interesting because I was looking at Twitter earlier and just, you know, uh, I think one interesting aspect of, of this um, accident is that, you know, you, you have the social media now that you might not have had, you know, like, for instance, 10 years ago with, with Lac Megantic. Um, so you have all this uh, speculation and also, you know, um, information about you know what's out there and, and what 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 might have caused um the derailment so there's it, it's trying to look at the issue while also um wading through all of that yeah i would say the social media aspect has not um enhanced our ability to keep a calm head and uh, wait for an investigation to take place and just sort of reserve judgment until we know more it's that whole thing has um really been um, sort of in your face. I mean, just even on, on Reddit, which I think is less toxic than a lot of the social media sites, it's like nonstop, um, you know, derailment. How, how could the Norfolk Southern Southern do this? But, um, you know, I think there's a lot to, to consider. And I, I do think the NTSB is going to get to the bottom of, of this. And for some perspective on this and some other topics, I want to introduce our guest, uh, Her Herman Hackstein, who um, is the president of the private rail car beverage Private Rail Car Food and Beverage Association. This is a trade organization comprised of a large number of food and beverage companies, including a lot of household name CPGs. Uh, Herman is a C was the CEO of FHW Group up until a couple of years ago. That's the largest lessor of refrigerator rail cars. Um, Herman, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. It's uh, always great to have someone with your um, level of expertise um, on freight waves. And, you know, we were just chatting before the show about. The derailment, I think it's on everyone's mind. And you had some interesting perspective on the wheel bearing issue uh, with, with the heat generated by those wheel bearings and how often those are replaced. And then you also had some interesting perspective on the detectors that um, are located every 20 miles on, on, on that line. Could you share some of that uh, insight with us? So, you know, it's, it's like you said, um, uh, social media, whatever it is, everybody's trying to get ahead of what's the cause, you know, what's, where's the smoking gun. And it's got to be very difficult for people like the NTSB to be doing their job and, and, um, and uh, trying to look at all the facts. But 
Um, from an industry person, uh, we started talking about wheel bearings. Wheel bearings are a daily item. Wheel bearings on a rail car are, are, are probably the most regularly, wheel sets, axles, and wheel bearings are the most uh, regularly addressed issue on a rail car. So um, uh, it's a well-known fact in the rail industry that at that, fail, that failure point needs to be detected well in advance. And for years, the railroads have deployed these independent sensors in the tracks that are very effective at detecting uh, warm wheel sets, bad bearings, flat spots on wheels, et cetera. So um, I, I think there's probably a lot of focus behind the scenes going on right now as to um, when those detections were made, if those detections were made, were those detectors working properly? Uh, again, uh, the influence of social media, right? So we're picking up uh, ring doorbell cameras. You know, people are submitting, hey, it came through on my doorbell the other day. Look at this. And uh, I, I picked it up on a totally non-related station. I saw some video that was posted by somebody that showed flames coming from the wheel, supposedly 40 miles away or 40 minutes away. I don't remember. So, so yeah, there's a lot of things to investigate, but certainly – um, uh, the technology for detecting these kinds of issues, um, uh, it's available and we're assuming it's working and in place. And uh, I'm sure we'll find out from, from the folks on the ground that are investigating um, where the gap might be in that area. Yeah, so it sounds like from talking to you that it was really a failure, not so much in the rail car, because these are regular issues that need to be addressed all the time. This is our regular maintenance. It was the failure to detect the need for maintenance. And so who is responsible for making sure that detectors are functioning properly? I mean, who's detecting the detectors? Is that the, the railroad or is that some you know, third-party uh, supplier? No, I, I think the detectors have a direct feed with the train crews. So, um, yeah, I, I'm... I'm not um, well enough first to be able to tell you who's responsible for the maintenance or the upkeep of those detectors. Got it. Um, but you really appreciate your, your, your insight there. I think um, it seems like we're at least getting closer and, and it is too early to speculate, I think, on exactly what happened. I think the NTSB is going to get to the, to the bottom of this. Um, also, uh, Herman, wanted to ask you, um, you know, really just wanted, really reason we had you on, there's so many issues with the private, um, you know, rail cars—they're having all these service issues. You've done a number of, um, you know, times you've testified to various organizations, including Surface Transportation Board, to Congress, to other hearings regarding uh, precision scheduled uh, railroading. Um, can you give us a little bit of, a, of an idea of the type of, you know, points you made um, at those those various hearings? So I, I'll go back to, you know, what is Private Rail Car Food and Beverage Shippers Association? So we short name that PERFBA and uh, PERFBA is an organization of food and beverage companies that um, uh, are large rail shippers. And but in order to belong to the association, you have to also own or lease your own rail car. So these are rail shippers that are committed to rail shipping. Um, they have skin in the game. They, they have assets, very expensive assets that they're putting in the hands of the railroad every day. And they, they need to uh, be very engaged in the railroads to try to make sure that they get good usage of those assets and that their service that's provided by the railroads is getting them the return on investment that they plan on getting uh, from those assets. So 
So we're about uh, 20 of the biggest of the big. And um, by that, I mean uh, the largest industry uh, players, whether it be in a beverage industry, an adult beverage industry, or a cereal industry, um, they've all joined us. So initially, we got together because we wanted to have a platform of, of uh, benchmarking. I used, I'm uh, recently retired as a CEO of the MHW Group, and during that tenure or part of that tenure was managing our CrowdTrans rail business, which was a, a, man, a company that contract manufactured and leased refrigerated and insulated rail cars. So a lot of these guys were my customers in the old days, and I still feel to some extent they're my customers today because um, helping them get the efficiency out of the fleet that they deserve for the investment they made uh, makes me feel good at the end of the day. So so these guys are... are um, Initially, just looking for ways to talk with each other, benchmark best practices. How do we get better at rail? Um, that started getting into, hey, how about we start getting like town hall style meetings with the big wigs at some of these railroads? Because now we're not just, you know, one company that has 30 or 40,000 rail car shipments a year. Now we're like a large group of companies who have hundreds of thousands of shipments a year. Maybe they'll sit down and want to talk to us. So fireside chats and then... You know, just by progression, you can understand that, that that maybe that wasn't happening as well. So then we started talking to the Service Transportation Board a little bit more, a lot more. And then eventually we hired a full-time lobbyist. And now we're trying to make our our uh, uh, issues, I'll say, heard on, on uh, Capitol Hill. So that's what's led to us testifying at Service Transportation Board hearings, uh, testifying before Congress, which I did this spring. When we were talking about railroad service failures. So um, does that answer your question or where do you want to go from here? Yeah, so it, it gives us a great sense of what you guys are doing and how you're helping those those shippers. I guess from here, um, you know, how would you describe rail service right now? We heard a lot about service issues the past two years. Um, you know, rail traffic is is kind of mixed, but but down, you know, in, in a lot of segments. Um, if, if you've seen it, get it gotten any better, with um, you know the Union Pacific lifting its embargoes and um, you know just with the lower volume, so um, so volume is flat. I mean, intermodal volumes. Well, you're the more of the expert, I think, Mike, on it. But intermodal volume continues to be down, 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 right? And so um, you know, how, is service getting better? Uh, you know what? <laughs> if if you live in uh, Maryland and it's cold every day when it's 30, 40 degrees outside, you say it's a beautiful day. If you were living in Florida and it's 30, 40 degrees, it's absolutely a horrible day. So it really depends on the perspective of what you're looking at. And service has been so bad since 2018 um, that I, I think people are just starting to accept um, um, not good service. So let me put it to you that way. So one of the things that, uh, that the PERF uh, uh, organization has been spending a lot of time with Service Transportation Board is trying to establish some kind of first mile, last mile reporting criteria so that we can actually identify is service getting better. The railroads report wonderful uh, statistics to the to the Service Transportation Board today. Um, every week, uh, the train speed and their dwell times and their terminal dwell and they, have, and they have all these wonderful statistics that absolutely add up to nothing. They mean not a darn thing to a shipper. Shipper wants to know is, did the load get picked up on time and did it get delivered on time? 
And we have that very, very much in the trucking industry, even to some extent in the intermodal industry, but we don't have it in the rail industry in general. So um, it'd be great to be able to answer your question, Mike, by being able to say, yeah, we were at 80 and now we're at 82 uh, for on-time mm-hmm. delivery, but, but we just don't have that kind of service metric in place with the railroads. And we really, we, we really need to do that so that we can truly identify fact-based uh, uh, issues when you talk about service. Yeah, it seems like you need to be able to measure it, uh, first of all. And I agree with you that the the shipper probably doesn't care if the railroad is moving um, 15 miles an hour or or 30 miles an hour. Does it get there there on time or or not is a better better question. Um, You know, when, you know, shippers come to you and they, you know, want to incorporate rail into their network or are thinking about the balance between, you know, truck and rail, and you've always done, you know, a lot with, um, you know, boxcars and refrigerated, you know, boxcars, which, you know, that's competitive with with truck. I mean, how, how do you think about incorporating rail into a supply chain if you're a supply chain manager? So, you know, I, I, I think that's a, it, 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 I think every supply chain manager has to have diversity in his supply chain. I think he's got to be using uh, barge if possible, but certainly intermodal truck and rail. And I think diversity helps you get through the tough times. I mean, everybody knows they're just simply wasn't enough capacity to go around during the COVID, you know, peak years. Um, but the guys certainly that had more tools in the toolbox were able to get through it more successfully than others. So, um, but at the same time, um, you know, there's other people that are, uh, I would say much more restricted. Like, um, you know, we've heard a lot of news about the guy in the West coast that ha- has feed trains coming in. He's got to feed his chicken so that he can produce chicken products for his end customers. So, I mean, he needs a feed train at a time, 50 cars. I mean, that's 200 truckloads. I mean, his infrastructure, his ability to receive truck or switch to truck, it's just not realistic, right? Um, same thing with um, uh, many of the other bulk materials, um, wheat, uh, soybean, uh, all, all that product naturally works well on rail. So if you're a supply chain guy and you're in a rice factory or a heavy uh, a soybean or industry then you definitely got you have to have rail uh in your in your toolbox if you're uh i don't know maybe a shoe store guy uh you could probably get away with not having rail in your supply chain solution yeah certainly there's a lot that really sort of has to go on rail um it's a good perspective um wanted to ask you know you joanna um you know you just put out an article you know featuring some of the comments from from herman on the class one railroad shareholder base do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, so Herman and I were chatting uh, the other day about um, some of the research that uh, he was looking into, um, looking at uh, filings from the um, uh, SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, just kind of seeing um, the who are the investors um, of the railroads and um, and uh, and it was interesting um, I thought you know some of the some of his findings and I guess um, Herman if you want to explain a little bit more about you know um, you know what you saw exactly and and uh, you know what the significance of, of that might be sure thanks I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this um, because it's become a little bit of the latest passion of our organization so I'm just going to take two steps back and say you know the organization, Perfa, many shippers are trying to figure out how do how do we influence the railroads? How, how do we um, um, how do we work better with them? How do we get them to grow their business with us? 
Um, shippers want more rail capacity. Uh, Congress wants more rail capacity. The Department of Energy just produced a white paper that Freightways reported on a month or so ago. They want a bigger modal shift from truck to rail. So, so people want rail. And, and the question is, how do we influence the railroads to grow their business? Today, the railroads have had flat volume growth over the past, um, let's say, four or five years. Um, they've had constant profit growth over that same period of time, but they've done so through pricing and reduction in costs. So, so they're growing their profit, but they're not growing their business. And we, the shippers and uh, Congress, uh, we need them to, to take on a larger amount of freight. So how do you do that? And we weren't being successful. And, and PERP is not the kind of organization that says, okay, the door's closed. Uh, we'll come back tomorrow when you're open. We, we have to try to find a way to get the door to open. And in this case, we wanted to look at, well, what influences the railroads and their decisions? How could we work with the railroads to make it make sense for them to do more business with shippers? How, and and how do we influence that? So, um, so you know, you look at the obvious things. We've spent some time with the Service Transportation Board, and we spent some time with Congress, as you mentioned. We testified before Congress. Uh, what we've we've knocked on a lot of doors and the influence isn't necessarily hitting home. So I thought, well, you know, maybe maybe the influence might come from the investor community. Um, and and we were pretty surprised, um, you know, at, at the results that we found in the U.S. And we'll just focus on the U.S. for class one railroads. You have the BNSF, the Union Pacific, the CSX and the NS. So in 2010, the BNSF was purchased by uh, the Hathaway Group, which everybody, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, everybody knows that as, as Warren Buffett. And so those shares are controlled. That railroad is controlled um, by, we'll say, the direction of the single investor. Um, then, then you get down into the next level and you look at the, sorry, the next railroad, you look at the Union Pacific. And... The Union Pacific's top four investors are the large institutional investors. We're talking Vanguard, BlackRock, State Street, and Geo Capital. Those companies combined have more than 21% of the voting power at the top end of that railroad. It would take the next 25 investors to just match their share. Now, we were talking before Freightways and I were talking before and say, yeah, so, I mean, uh, is that, was that bad or is that good? Well, it goes to what would it take to influence a railroad? What, when, the, when the management and the board of a railroad make decisions, they put those decisions to vote. And those proxy votes are put out to the investors. Passive investors vote with the board. They list themselves as passive investors with the SEC. They are by nature board supporters. So the influence on the board is from within for at least that percentage of the votes. So in the case, again, we'll go back to the Union Pacific with 21% of the vote being automatically supportive of the board. And then you have the other folks, whether it's employees or executives that are going to naturally vote with the board. In order to overthrow their majority to get something to change, in other words, the board could pass a 20% pay raise for all executives, whether the board would do that or not, but they could put that out there. And the difficulty at being able to overthrow that kind of a, 
uh, a business decision is very difficult when the top 20 or 25% of your investors are basically voting with you automatically. So the ability to influence, the ability to change, the ability to get the board to maybe look at things with a more open mind, or maybe from a Department of Energy's perspective, or maybe from a shipper's perspective, it, it's difficult and it and apparently it's, it's extremely difficult to try to get their investment community to help you uh, with those kinds of, uh, I'll say, requests or desires. The other interesting thing we continue to look at, which is, I don't know if it's scary, depending on the industries that you follow, but the next two class one railroads, the CSX and the NS, both have the same top four passive investors in their top group of investors. So what, just try to, again, in English, both of their positions are 20% or greater in the NS or in the CSX. And that, and, and that position, again, would outweigh the next largest group of investors by 25 to 30. So, so we have four institutional passive investment groups that are controlling such a large share of the railroads voting stock, it's not a danger as, you know, maybe the initial, it's like, hey, that's not an active investor. It's not going to throw it off track. Instead, it's an insulator. It's an influential insulator. Those guys are in it for the long term. They're not going to buy and sell. They're not going to make threats to the board. They're not going to guys that they're not, they're trying to make a good long-term quiet investment. And the question is, is without the influence of the investors, or at least that large of a part of the investors, what's actually uh, outside influences are actually out there to get the railroads to make some of the decisions that we, the shipper, Congress, or the SDB want them to make. So that's the challenge. Yeah, that's that's interesting to me because um, it seems like, from at least from my perspective, a lot of the service issues have has come from having the opposite type of investor, where you've had the very activist investor that's gone into uh, railroads, particularly ones that have ORs that are worse than the peer group, pushed to get a new CEO. New CEO cuts a lot, lots of costs. You know tells Wall Street they're using, you know, PSR, not PSR light, but full PSR. And ultimately that's caused them to not um, grow the volume, instead focus on on, on the cost reduction. Um, you know, I, I would think that, at, at least from my perspective, that having longer term investors would lend itself to looking, um, needing a way to grow the volume and recognizing that sort of quarter to quarter, the OR this quarter doesn't make that big of a, of a difference. And there really does need to be an, an avenue for, for, for growth. But um, you know, I do see what you're saying. If there's not a lot of other, if those um, investors are too close to the company and they are not receptive to other ideas, because I mean, could have an inve activist investor who buys up a small portion of the shares, if they get those large voters on board with one thing or, or, or another, then all of a sudden, then it's, it's, it's not as concentrated of a, of a position. But, but um, you know, I do um, I really appreciate the, the, the work that, that you did on that. You know, it, it, the, the short-term investor is doing exactly what PSR did, right? So if you look at the railroads have laid off 30% of their workforce, I mean, everybody's heard that number. 
Um, and, and so the railroads cut and changed too quickly to try to react to Wall Street. In general, though, uh, we got to be really careful. Was that for the investors or was for that for the guys that have stock options? Who benefits greatly from stock values going up? Wall Street? Absolutely. But everybody that has shares, stock options inside the railroad also benefits very highly from that. And having a look at who inside those railroads has that greatest, uh, shall we say, win? Um, it, so I, I just want to make sure that it's investors at Wall Street and the, uh, um, yes, they're looking for a, a quick spike and a good uh, growth and value of their shares, but there's also a lot of other beneficiaries inside the railroad that appreciate that happening. Yeah, there's been plenty of incentive to lower the OR and grow earnings and less incentive, I think, to provide excellent service and grow the volume, uh, unfortunately, for um, a lot of the companies that you work very closely with, uh, Herman. So that's really all the, the time we have, but, but thanks very much, Herman, for, for joining us today on, on PSR. Where can folks Thank reach you. out to you? Thank you. Where can folks reach out to you? Just to your website, the Private Real Car Food and Beverage Administration, or is, is there a better way? Uh, sure. No, that's the best way. HXDN at Perfa. Um, that'd be the great way to get a hold of me. Thanks. Okay. Well, th thank you. Hope everyone has a great day.